Welcome listeners, it's Adrian here from Market Attack and I've got a double billing interview special today. I've got the Amiga legends Ian Dunlop and Neil Glancy on the show. They're probably best known for their work on the Amazing Walker on the Amiga and later went to America to work on the Two Rock series, South Park Games, Doom and much more in between. So sit back and enjoy a great interview with two retro gaming legends. Welcome to Arcade Attack. A retro gaming podcast for up to four players. Panic Boom! Welcome back, listeners, to the latest Arcade Attack podcast. I've got two guests on today's show, two real legends. We've got Ian Dunlop and Neil Glancy. Um, they are known, well, they've worked in a huge amount, huge amount of games together, but probably best known for their time on DMA Designs. Uh, DMA Designs, sorry. So, guys, thank you so much for your time today, Ian and Neil. Brilliant to have you on the show. Thanks for the invite. Nice to be here. Brilliant. Um, I'd love to start, actually, guys, because obviously... You guys have had some amazing success in the gaming uh, industry, and you work really closely together. But before you, well, Ian, I'll start with you if that's okay. So, how did you first enter the video game industry, and do you remember the first game you ever worked on? Oh, geez, um, yeah, that was professionally. That was '87. Um, I worked uh, for a company called Elite Systems Limited, I think. Um, known for their owner who drove a Lotus Esprit Turbo, <laughs> you know, the, kind of like the the wish of all young programmers, hey, I want a sports car. But um, the first thing I worked on, I can't even remember what it was called. It was some sort of side-scrolling beat-em-up thing for the ZX Spectrum. Um, and that was a complete disaster for me. I was, I was too young. It was like a horrible work environment, and uh, it was like, a, I guess it was like six months later, I ended up doing a Codemasters title, which was um, my first released title, which was International Rugby Simulator. Oh, nice. Uh, for the ZX Spectrum, so um, that was that was fun. Um, that was the first thing. Brilliant. Um, and Neil, same question. How did you get into the industry, and what was the first game you ever worked on? Um, I really sort of got into the industry from sort of a fascination with computer graphics, you know, as a child, um, looking at these coin-op games and, you know, Atari 2600s and thinking, wow, this is fascinating and how can I do this for a job? Um, And uh, spent a a number of years working with, uh, you know, pixel art programs, you know, on the Spectrum and uh, later the Amiga and the ST. And uh, one of the first things, maybe the first game I worked on was um, First Contact, which was for the Amiga and ST, um, which was a you know full color uh, sprite-based game. I did all of the characters and animations and particle effects. Um, and as was the the case back then, uh, you know it's like, well, we don't have someone to do that, so who's gonna who's gonna design the maps or who's gonna make all the sounds? Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up uh, drawing the kind of jigsaw pieces of the maze, such sort of top-down view in the game. Um, and then fitting them together to sort of make the level. So I hadn't really planned on designing the, the levels of the game, but the programmer was like, well, I'm not going to do that, so you can put these things together. I was like, okay, fair enough. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, uh, so that was my first uh, sort of uh, exploration into, into design. 
Um, but it was a lot of fun and, uh, you know, I learned a lot and, and then actually on, after that went on to work on a few Spectrum things. And so there you go. That's probably the st story behind the first one anyway. I appreciate it. Um, I've got to ask, actually, how did you two first meet? Did you meet while working at DMA Design or did you meet before? Or I'd love to hear the story. Yeah. Do you want to go for that one, Ian? Sure, sure. Uh, so, yeah, I was... Uh, I guess just looking for uh, computer stuff like um, video games, and I heard of this store. It was uh, I can't even remember what street it was on, but it was like a kind of little boutique uh, video game store that had like Atari ST stuff and the Commodore Amiga, and that's where I met Neil. Um, you know, and uh, I guess we just connected because we had this love and passion of all things kind of video games and being creative and just kind of hit it off and that's uh you know how it's i actually bought my commodore amiga at that store and that kind of led to dma design mm -hmm. um and getting that kind of first gig yeah i remember ian coming into the store because i used to work at this uh computer shop called soft center in edinburgh and um, we were just sort of bullshitting and talking about games and stuff and um ian was like oh i'm actually working on a game i'm making a game myself and I was like, holy shit, really? You're working on a game? That's awesome. Is that, can, I, can I work with you on that game? Can I help? And at that time, I believe I just finished um, First Contact. I'd maybe been done with it for a few months. So I'd actually shipped a game. And, uh, you know, so I mentioned to you, I have actually finished a game. Um, and so we just kind of got talking. And uh, Ian was, uh, you know, working away on Walker, I believe, at that time. And was lamenting um, his disappointment in some areas of the game. And uh, and I was like, well, you know, maybe I could do some graphics, some backgrounds for you or some animations of sprites and such. So I went away and um, I don't know, I spent probably a couple of months, maybe two or three months doing, creating some test assets. Yeah. Um, and then I gave them back to Ian. I'll let Ian take over the story here as to what yeah. happened after we put those test assets in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, if memory serves me correctly, um, yeah, we, we collaborated on that, and Neil did this amazing uh, work on the art. I mean, it really blew me away, just the attention to detail, you know, like, if you think of the art that's in Walker right now as kind of a copy inspired by what neil did but not i i hate to say it but not as good as um oh, wow. you know like it, i think it would have been truly revolutionary had neil's work finally gotten in the game um and i certainly don't want to upset anybody who, had, who also <laughs> worked on the title but i mean that's how i felt at the time was that um you know neil had done this awesome work we basically built a level um, a lot of detail and animations and the uh, environmental effects and just kind of like maybe even I seem to remember we embellished the story like, you know, there's a lot of kind of inspiration from things like Terminator mm -hmm. and Aliens Akira. and um, yeah, Akira. Yeah, oh, wow, absolutely. Brilliant. And, yeah. um, you yeah, know, and so I, I, oh, sorry, no. No, I was just going to say a lot of the things that basically I added were um, at that time, uh, sprite animations were very basic. If you think about, say, you know, Sega's, not Sega, it was Atari's Gauntlet game, you know, the four-player game, you're in a dungeon. Um, but some of the things that I added to the test assets for a walker were things like uh, inbuilt motion blur. So when characters moved quickly, they actually had motion blur, um, as well as um, some pretty complex cooked-in lighting. So 
Um, mm. When characters would run over the battlefield and they would fire a weapon, the weapon would create a muzzle flash, which would illuminate the, their face and oh, their wow. body just for that one frame as they fired the weapon. Um, and it would also create a kind of a backscatter light effect. So you would see, see the light being projected behind the character and their silhouette in the light. So there's a lot of very complicated lighting effects that were in the game. And none of this stuff existed back in the day, you know, with sprite mm. stuff. So it was pretty revolutionary. But um, unfortunately, I remember, uh, <laughs> I can see Ian's beginning to smile a bit here. <laughs> I remember having the meeting with uh, David Jones of DMA Design, and he basically said, hey, I'm really sorry to say this, but we cannot use your art. Because um, if we use your art, basically, we have to go back and revisit every single piece of art we've already done for the game right. and, and bring it up to that standard. And we just don't really have time to do that. So, And we can't have one level that looks, you know, completely sort of different in one way and then have every other level be kind of, you know, this other way. So it was really disappointing um, for both Leah, uh, Liam, for both Ian and for myself um, because, you know, I put a lot of work into to those assets and, and they were very high quality. But uh, mm. at the end of the day, you know, it had a silver lining because Dave uh, Jones was like, well, you know, having said that we can't use this work, it's clear that you're it's obvious that you're talented, so we'll hire you, and you know you can come and work yeah. for us at DMA. So there was a silver lining at the end of the day. And so Neil, you you were working in retail as well at the time. Then I mean, <laughs> even though you already released a game, I mean that's that's incredible, really, when you think about it. Like like in today's world, you that wouldn't be the case, would it? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's I say the same thing to my son. You know, when I'm talking to him about you know working in jobs and careers and stuff, it's like, well, you know, I, I used to go to work you know, nine to five at the shop. And then I would come home and I would work from eight o'clock till one or two in the morning, you know, in my portfolio or stuff for Ian's game, you know, and it's just, so I was burning the candle on both ends basically, you know, um, but you know, that's what you want to do. If you're, if you're passionate about something and you want to learn, you have to push yourself and mm-hmm. put in the errors, you know, and in the, in what I was working in at that time, which was graphics, you know, it's very much, well, you have to prove yourself. You can't just tell people, <laughs> no one's going to give you a job because they're like, no, no, honestly, I'm really good at this, you know, <laughs> but I can't show you. But honestly, trust me, I'm awesome. You know, so you have to have this big, varied portfolio of stuff, right? You know, space stuff, medieval mm-hmm. stuff, character animation, spaceships, whatever, you know, particle effects. Uh, and it takes a very long time to build that stuff up and, um, uh, as we get to it further into this story, um, there was some uh, interesting work that we did, some some more sort of revolutionary graphic stuff that we did for Walker 2, that which did not yes. see the light of day also. Uh, but that's We're another story. Yeah. We'll talk about Walker 2, don't worry. Um, but I don't want to jump around too much, but Ian, yeah, yeah. I, I don't really quite... When you happen to sort of fill in the gaps how you first got into DMA design, because obviously you met Neil while you're still working there. Was, was Walker the first game you worked on, for example, or how did you get into DMA design? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to remember exactly when, but basically I had uh, was looking kind of outside of Codemasters, like I was a contractor for them, um, and I just got on the Amiga and was kind of, like Neil said, you know, just all that work you do in your own time to kind of hone your skills. I mean, I was working on the Amiga, learning that, and then I started looking around, and I seem to remember there was an ad for DMA Design looking for... Uh, contractor mm. and so I just I drove up there one time for an interview and uh, they, I guess they liked what they heard and it was uh, it was strange it was like you know they were like hey we've got this idea for a shooting game 
and I was presented these uh, frames of graphics that another programmer had done. Uh, I think his name was Scott. And um, he had basically rendered, he wrote in code to render out this head of the walker kind of turning in the different positions. Like there was yeah. only about 16 frames. And they were like, could you take that and make a game? <laughs> that, that was it. And I was like, yeah, cool. I'll make a game with that. And, yeah. uh, you know, then they kind of like, they, the only other uh, directive was Lemmings-like. Yes. You know, um, and so, yeah, I just, I was like, hell yeah, I'll t- do that. And so I, I got to town and started working on it. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, came up with an initial kind of control thing. Like they had happened to render the, the head out looking from right to left. Yeah. And so I basically based the game on moving right to left. I mean, and even that's quite unusual, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Backwards. There is not many games where you, that is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Backwards. And, and then it was just like, you know, I, I like coming up with control schemes that are interesting and unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought, well, hey, we can have the keyboard be left and right, which is stomping back and forward. And the mouse is looking because we needed to be able to look anywhere on the screen. So the head would turn. So it's almost like the restrictions of the artwork gave rise to this kind of control mm-hmm. uh, scheme. It was very revolutionary at the time. I remember Ian explaining to me what how he had been delivered, that he'd been delivered this asset, you know, of this walker head, where it had been rendered in all these different positions, you know, these different still frames. And I remember asking him, gosh, how was that done? You know, and he was like, well, it's actually a three-dimensional model. You know, this programmer had actually literally typed it in the three-dimensional coordinates to describe this head shape and then had rendered it in different, uh, you know, positions. And at the time, that was very revolutionary. You know, like it was like, wow, you know, pe- people people barely had a program that you could create a 3D asset in, you know, because everything was 2D sprites. So it was very, very interesting. I When I played it uh, growing up, I, I had, we took it in turns with my brother. One would use the joystick, <laughs> moving left and right, and one would use the cursor. Um, I mean, the first one the joystick probably got the short end of the straw a little bit, because that is <laughs> such a fun game. Um, I mean, what, I mean, I've done a whole podcast on Walker, by the way. I've, I've read the story, the, the, the manual story. It's absolutely crazy. The story. I don't know if you guys... Did you, were you guys involved in the story of the game? Because it's ridiculously detailed for, you know. I don't think so. Was that Steve at DMA did that, Ian? Do you know? Yeah, probably. I can't honestly remember. Yeah, I can't remember um, either. I think it might have been Steve because we had a writer at DMA um, who, you know, that's all he did was write stuff, um, huh? you know, and uh, he also did a very entertaining company newsletter monthly, uh, <laughs> which uh, usually had pictures of people falling out of pubs and such. Um, but uh, I think he maybe wrote that story. It's, 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 well, yeah, it's crazy <laughs> story, but it's, I love it. The time travel elements is so cool. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier about the innovations, uh, the graphics of it were, was, was so incredible. Did you know at the time you were working on something quite special or something that would uh, still be talked about today? Because, um, I, guys, I... I sh- on Facebook and Twitter, I said, is there any questions for these gentlemen? And most of the things were all about Walker, I have to say. Are you surprised a little bit by that, about how much love there is for the game today? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it was definitely a fun project to work on. And Ian and I worked together really well. Um, very efficient. We're very similar in that way, you know. Um, so it was a lot of fun. And, you know, we got to learn a lot. And then we both basically kind of trans- uh, 
you know, relocated to Dundee so we could work there, you know. Um, but it was it was a fun experience. It's but yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's very humbling that people enjoyed the game and that they still enjoy the game and think about it. You know, that's we're, I'm definitely honoured. Yeah. Was there any um, any features or any other elements that you thought you would love to put into the game? Because I I've heard rumours that there were going to be platforming levels in between mm-hmm. the normal sort of levels. Is that true, or is there mm-hmm. anything like that oh, you're yeah, going yeah. to? Ian can yeah, that actually that that existed. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I was inspired by Prince of Persia mm. and had created this whole underground labyrinth. Just It was essentially a rip-off of Prince of Persia. And I did all the art myself, and the idea was you would go down. There was like a hatch at the end of the level on the when you're on the walker stage, and you go down into that, and you run around, and you place bombs um, around in key locations. And there was an elevator section. There was bad guys shooting at you. And um, once you placed all the bombs, you had like 50 seconds or whatever to escape. And then that was the end of the level. And that was all functional and working. Um, But at the end of it, they basically said, hey, we don't have the budget or time to do the art for this. So (laughs) (laughs) we're just going to have to cut it. Um, Yeah. Other things that we did talk about along the way, um, which didn't get put into the Walker 1, were I remember, and this was fairly late in the development of the game, um, saying to Ian or suggesting, I'm like, hey man, you know, maybe we should have some uh, different weapons because just firing the machine gun on the walker kind of gets boring after a while. Mm. You know, maybe we should be able, you know, maybe we could add a couple of different weapons like, you know, a grenade launcher or a laser beam or, you know, something to kind of mix it up a little bit just to add a bit of variety. <clears throat> but, you know, at that point, basically, Ian was like, it's, those are all great ideas, but it's too late. You know, we just don't have any time for that anymore. So no, you know, it, that... it took a while. It took a while. I mean, I, geez, like I think I'd been working on it for a year when I met yeah. you, Neil. Mm. And I mean, how many years? I mean, it took like at least <laughs> two or three years. I seem to remember. I can't um, remember. I, I, I can. I, if I was to guess, I would say we probably worked on it at least a year. You know, between yeah. all the different things that we did, mm. the gra- doing the graphic stuff, and then going up to, to to Dundee to work with the artists who were doing the art, and they were now kind of art directing them a little bit. And yeah. um, I mean, I know I started early '90, maybe even late '89. I can't remember when I got the Amiga. And you know, back then it was not like a, a situation where you could survive on your own. I mean, I got I got my contract was five hundred pounds a month. <laughs> right, right, and so I was, I was living with my parents, and so I was basically getting five hundred pounds a month in my bedroom, coding Walker, and it literally went on forever. I mean, <laughs> like, and then I met Neil, and then you know that kind of accelerated a bit because there was like a really good, strong direction for the artwork. But then, like Neil was saying, they had already started doing art because it was a long time before they actually got artists involved in the project. They wanted me to kind of work by myself before they wow. really saw it as a viable project. And then mm-hmm. when it when it started that to be viable, they brought artists in and then, you know, it was like they didn't really know what to do. I guess they kind of didn't have strong direction. And then Neil came in and provided that really strong direction, but it was too late to kind of make them kind of do what he wanted. And mm-hmm. it kind of ended up like a bit of a uh, mismatch, uh, mishmash, like between the kind of strong direction Neil had and what they were bringing to the table is what kind of what we ended up with, kind of like 
um, a different mm. scale. I, I really liked Neil's original scale. It was like closer, maybe zoomed in a little bit. And then mm -hmm. before we went to the kind of fully zoomed out, like yeah. tiny actors. Yeah, the problem I had with the characters was the characters as they, they shipped in Walker, um, they were so small, you know, they were about maybe six or eight pixels tall that uh, I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, deliver the animation quality that I wanted with such a small character. So I made the characters a little bit bigger. I think they were maybe like 12 or 15 pixels high. Right. Um, and just adding those few extra pixels allowed me to add a lot more detail to their motions and running behaviors and, you know, firing weapons. And they would even sort of, you'd see them like fire a weapon, like blam, they'd fire the weapon and then they would like crack the weapon open and reload the shells and then flip it up and fire the weapon again. Um, you know, there was just a lot of uh, little details there, but you, you can't really get all that stuff in when they're, when they're really, really tiny. There's just not enough pixels to work with. Ah, I mean, were you still proud when the game was shipped? Were you uh, were you still happy with it, or did you? Obviously, you sound like you there's things you really wanted to have in the initial game. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. You know, I mean, it was disappointing, of course, because you know, yeah. especially when you're new to the industry, you know, you want to prove yourself and show what you can do, and mm. there wasn't as much of an opportunity there for me to show what I could do because most of that stuff wasn't in the game. But, uh, you know, that aside, I, I learned a lot, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the, the things that I did create were things that I was like, I didn't even know if these things were possible. You know, it was like, right, I'll yeah. just try. Maybe it's possible. Maybe it's not, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I learned a lot. And those lessons are things that I took into other works, you know, moving forward. So it wasn't a loss, but it was disappointing. Oh, fair enough. Um, got my cat walking over here. I know, right? Yeah, I've, got one, I've got one on my lap, actually, yeah. I just want to, I'll go back to Walker a little bit in a minute, but DMA Design, I assume you guys would be working in, in, in an office, um, yeah, it, like a tight-knit crew, but it sounds, um, how would you describe DMA Design throughout your well, time we did, there? We did yeah. finally get to D the offices of DMA Design, that, that yeah, came yeah. later. That was after Walker had shif uh, shipped, yeah, and Dave was like, hey, you know, Neil, we, we're sorry we couldn't put your art in the game, but you know, we'll give you a job. So um, Ian and I um, relocated to Dundee, and, and then we were inside uh, DMA's office. And it was a very, very uh, interesting, fascinating time in the games industry. Uh, when I think about it, my memory is almost like, gosh, it's almost like that TV show, The Office. You know, mm. this sort of comedic, somewhat bumbling, uh, <laughs> make it up as you go along, fly by the seat of your pants kind of, you know, uh, you know, sort of structure. Like everyone was just kind of, trying to figure stuff out. There wasn't yeah. a lot of precedent, right? I remember one of the, the business managers coming to me and having a serious conversation at one point. And he's like, but there's got to be some way, there's got to be some way that we can schedule these games. We've got to be able to get these games scheduled somehow. And me being the creative sort of quote unquote artist at the time was like, oh, but you can't schedule creativity. And, you know, <laughs> you know, like, you know, yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. you know, I'm like, you can't say, you know, you can just invent things, you know, within a schedule. And, and of course, now with hindsight, you know, with 30 plus years of software development experience, I'm like, of course you can schedule these things, <laughs> you know, but at the time it, it didn't seem like that. But it was a really a very interesting, funny, quirky place full of very interesting, funny, yeah. quirky people. There's a lot of very clever people there, you know. What what yeah. what's kind of the end? Oh no, I, I I couldn't have seen it better myself. Um, you know, uh, it was just a unique time, and um, it was actually my first kind of real job, which which didn't actually last very long. 
Um, <laughs> I guess we'll get to those questions <laughs> in a bit. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's like it was really kind of, you know, everybody didn't really, there wasn't really a lot of direction. It was right, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I think Dave Jones and his band, Merry Men, had, had, had all these hits and didn't really have a formula. Like when you look back on it now and you have all the experience you have, it was just kind of random luck in a way. Mm-hmm. And, it's um, almost like, uh, have you guys seen the Black Mirror episode Bandersnatch? Yes, yes. So you know oh, when the yes. guy goes into the, the guy's getting interviewed at the software studio? It's pretty much like that. That's, pr- that's pretty much what it was like. You know, it's yeah. like, we'll give you graphics, we'll give you programmers, we'll have a sound person, it's going to be awesome. You know, and you're like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that was really well done. That did capture the the coding development uh, scene in, in Britain in that era, in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Brilliant. I really enjoyed it as well. Um, so, Ian, and no, correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, you didn't work on the Walker 2 sequel, did you? That You, you had left by, is that right? Or No, no, I was still at uh, DMA Design. Um, I actually, uh, I can't remember what my reasoning for not wanting to be part of that was, but they basically had me doing uh, the Sega Genesis version of Walker. Oh, uh, I think yeah. the, I was yes. probably actually forced into that. <laughs> he was. He hated that. God, I remember it, Ian. <laughs> I can't he, even remember that. I guess I'm Oh, I remember this well. Yeah, yeah. So we were in this big-ass room, right? So there's me on one <laughs> corner over here. And there's, like, I think maybe three artists. Um, and then Ian was around the corner in the same room. And David basically said to him, hey, you know, this Walker thing is fairly popular. People like it. But if we're going to make money out of this, we need to take it to the Sega Genesis. Mm -hmm. So he said to Ian, right, make it happen. And Ian's like, you do realize this game needs a mouse, right? So so poor Ian was basically trying to kind of figure out some way to make the game playable, you know, where you're moving the cursor with the joypad and the walker with the buttons and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, Wow. And it was a bit of a nightmare, you know, and while Ian was uh, working on on that, Dave was like, all right, Neil, get thinking about Walker 2. So I started putting my thinking cap on. And then as I kind of came up with little bits and pieces of ideas, I would take them around the corner to Ian and be like, hey, man, what do you think about this? And then Ian would be like, oh, well, maybe we could add a bit of that. And we did add, you know, a tremendous amount of features. I still have and I still have pretty much all of my uh, Walker 2 original design documents um and there was a you know a huge amount of things that we planned to add i mean sort of uh, the main ones would be we wanted to stream the backgrounds um so we were going to use a cd-rom format where uh, as the walker moved along as the scene moved along it was actually being streamed off of a disc because at that time streaming streaming games with you know better quality graphics that could be and could be rendered in real time were kind of becoming a bit of a thing so it was like and ian had introduced me to 3ds max at that point and i'd been messing around with that so it was like okay well maybe we can use 3ds max to you know to render these very very detailed extremely detailed backgrounds um, which have very deep levels of parallax and then we will stream those backgrounds off the disc um, and um, we will superimpose on top of that video feed sprites. So we'll add sprites on top, you know, the little figures and tanks and planes flying around, helicopters, what have you. Um, so that was kind of the plan from a high level in terms of, you know, how the screen would look and behave. Um, the other advantage to doing that was that if we streamed the backgrounds in, we could move the camera in innovative ways. 
So, you know, not only was the, the game going to move left to right, there would be certain portions of the game where the walker's kind of, you know, walking along the scene where it would turn and look into the screen and it would actually take off. Oh, and, wow. the, and the camera would fly into the screen. So now the, this, the background is actually coming towards you, you know, and then the walker right. would land, you know, it would land again on the ground and then you'd be moving kind of in a different direction. So it's far more a dynamic, you know, than, than the previous implementation. Um, and then the other big uh, innovation that was planned for the game, which again, and a lot of these things were extremely ahead of their time, um, was this kind of RPG uh, customization element. So uh, as we mentioned earlier on, one of the things that, you know, I really wanted to see in the original game was more different weapons. So Ian and I um, sort of got together and we put our hats together and sort of thought about, well, what kind of different weapons could we come up with? And a lot of them were really sort of kooky, funny, entertaining ideas. And there was basically a, a sort of management screen within the game where you could um, see almost the interior of the cockpit of the walker. And there was nine <coughs> slots that you could kind of rack equipment into. So if you think about a server farm, you have server blades that you put into a rack. So basically you could rack yeah. in these opponents, a components, I should say, and each of these components had a different function. So some of them might be a grenade launcher, some of them might be a rocket launcher, some of them were a laser thing. Um, and there was all kinds of hilarious things. Like, you know, the one I remember distinctly that was very funny was you had the walker and it would fire these kind of trash can-like projectiles and it would land on the ground, sort of clang, and then um, the, the the trash can would sort of break open and there was a Terminator inside of it. Oh, nice. And this Terminator would begin massacring all the little men, the bad guys. So you've got these little sort of bad guys running around. So you're deploying Terminators into the battlefield and they're basically massacring all these little guys. So there was lots of really, really fun ideas um, that we, we came up with. And you could kind of go back to this management screen and pull out modules and put oh, new wow. modules in and swap them around. So um, there was a lot of innovations there, again, that uh, unfortunately didn't see the light of day. The other innovation was the idea of business progression, so that when you started uh, the game, you were kind of a lowly um, kind of, you know, new employee uh, yeah. of a new company. And then as you completed more missions, you earned more money and your kind of home base grew larger and more exotic, you know, and you could do bigger jobs and buy more equipment. So it was it was a bigger game in, in every sense of the word. What platforms was it going to be made for? Was it still Amiga or would it have gone uh, beyond that? I don't think so. I'm tempted. It was the 3DO, wasn't it? That's the one, the I, yeah, it was that one, 3DO. Yeah, because that was 3DO was really big at that time. And um, and that was where this this uh, CD streaming. I was going to say, yeah, well, unless it was a yeah. CD32, but yeah, it had to yeah. be, didn't it? And it would have maybe trickled on from there to the Sega CD or something like that, maybe. You know, had it actually ever been developed. Ian, how close was the Mega Drive version to being released? May I ask? That wasn't released, was it? Either? Oh no, not at all. I, I remember <laughs> I got like a background work in the parallax, parallax scrolling. Um, I got the uh, Walker in there. I seem to remember that was about it. Um, well, you I got to the point where it was playable, and once we could play it on a Genesis joypad, we, we were all just like, "This is crap." Mm. Yeah, and I can't remember fun. exactly how. Yeah, you must have a better memory than me, but uh, <laughs> I uh, I seem to remember it before it even got that finished. Um, we were like, I was exiting, and Neil was exiting before me. So right, right. Um, but yeah. It's a sh it is a shame because Walker, at, 
the time of recording, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. There's only one game in the series, and mm-hmm. uh, just on the Amiga and is it the ST, I think maybe. Um, I mean, does the ROM exist for Walker on the Mega Drive, Ian? Is that even available? Is that long gone? Oh, no. I mean, if it does, it would have been saved by someone at DMA Design. Right. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, it really, it's kind of sad in a way, but like the project pretty much died when Neil left and then I left. I don't think anybody that I'm aware of attempted to salvage it beyond Mm -hmm. that point. It would be nice uh, if you have viewers who have lots of money. Um, it would be nice to make Walker too, though. Uh, you know, I think I still think there's a lot of really good yeah. ideas in there that would make a fun game. It would probably be a lot easier to make it now with the te- technology that exists nowadays. You could do it all in real time. What percentage would you say Walker Two got to to being completed? Would you say um, it was only in pre-production? Right. So, okay. so there was yeah. no. Uh, playable it was all basically documentation and paper but the documentation uh was very thorough you know there was it was was, you know it was stuff that you could hand to someone and they could follow and actually you know create content with um had a much more detailed story we'd planned out a lot of the missions the the game was set in this kind of solar system with all these different planets and you travel to different planets for different jobs and Mm. um there would be cut scenes i mean it was just it was very 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 ambitious um, and another thing that we did um, back in DMA design at the time, which was very unorthodox and was extremely difficult to green light, but we managed to get it done, was um, I managed to persuade David Jones to let me hire an artist, someone who was nothing, who did not know anything about computers, was purely a painter. Um, and this uh, particular person, uh, whose name was Alex, had a very interesting and unconventional art style. Um, and they'd also... Um, their, their passion was working in stop motion animation, but they were also a traditional illustrator. Right. Um, and uh, I said to Dave, I was like, hey, you know, we should really hire this guy because he's just got this really weird art style that I think would be interesting for the game. And he could do some paintings for us that might help inspire the work that we then build, you know, in pixel art or whatever. Um, and obviously now can, in video games, this is normal. You know, it's normal to hire concept artists and mm. have them paint things like, right? But back then, that had never been done before, right? It was like, it was, you know, people were like, a painter? Why do you want a painter? He can't do anything on the computer. Why would we hire him? Um, you know, so we hired Alex and he came into the studio. So now we had, you know, these pixel artists, me here, Ian in the corner, <laughs> and then this this guy with an easel and a paintbrush, right? You know, painting stuff. Yeah, yeah. And David Jones would come into the room and he would just be like scowling at the sky. Like, this guy <laughs> with an easel doing over here, you know. Uh, uh, do, do, do any of these paintings still exist for I the whole universe? Or? <laughs> I, I don't know. I have actually spoken to Alex. I, I looked him up uh, um, a few years ago just to sort of, I was going to go back to Scotland to visit my family. And I was like, I wonder if he's still in Scotland, I was going to meet up with him. Uh, but he is, and he's, he's still going and still has the, the very characteristic red hair he had. Um, but I did not manage to meet up with him. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, it was interesting. Unfortunately, um, after a certain amount of time, Dave was like, we can't justify having someone right. painting, so we need to let them go. And I had to tell Alex, I'm sorry, we have to let you go. But it was a shame, you know, because he had a lot of really good ideas and, and he brought, you know, a new type of creativity um, yeah, to yeah. the game, and and had we, you know, had we actually been able to make the game and incorporate some of his work into it, I think it would have, it would have really turned it up to eleven, you know. Um, bit of a personal question for both of you, you guys. Why did so? You Neil, know, you left first, and Ian, you left soon after. Is that right? Can I ask why did you leave? And again, it's a little bit, a little bit rude, but do you think if you did stay on, Walker Two would have been completed? I mean, Neil, 
what? Yeah, yeah, it's, I don't mind answering that question. Um, basically, uh, my reason for leaving was uh, I met a woman that I wanted to continue being in a relationship with, but the problem was she lived in America. Ah, okay. So um, when she left to go back to the States, I was like, okay, well, I'll see if I can get a job in America and then we can continue this relationship. And that meant leaving DMA. Um, you know, would Walker have continued had uh, Ian and I stayed there? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say. What do you think, Ian? I think there's a good chance that it would have, at least for sure, the the, the Sega version. Um, I'm not mm. sure. I wasn't really that involved in the the Walker Two, but um, yeah, I remember uh, Dave Jones was very disappointed when I handed my res- resignation as well because he he was basically like, yeah, that's the end of the project then. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, yeah, you want to finish uh, your thought, Neil? Um, I don't. I don't remember what the rest of that was. <laughs> well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll answer the same question. So I was on vacation, and uh, I got a call from Neil. He's like, "Hey, you know, there's a company that's hiring for programmers in America." I was like, "Hell yeah, I'm going to call them." <laughs> and so uh, yeah, I called them and got an interview. Uh, and it was funny. Like we were actually sharing an apartment in mm-hmm. Dundee, and um, you know, so I do my interview, and uh, I guess it was. It was Jeff Spineberg. He was the president of Iguana I was talking to. And um, he was like, is your is this number the same as Neil's number? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. That, that was in the old days where you didn't have cell phones. You had like mm-hmm. a telephone in your... A landline, yeah. Yeah, landline. Um, yeah, gosh, that was... And even just the whole coming to America thing was quite the saga in itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd... I had uh, my father had raised me on a steady diet of Clint Eastwood movies and Dirty Harry, and so <laughs> yeah. I'd always wanted to come to America. So it was like it was a no-brainer for me. Yeah. But it was great because you know um, Ian and I were both pretty excited about it. In that you know, hey, we're going somewhere different, but we'll get to keep working together. I asked why. You know, and um, you know, we did uh, do a number of collaborations and works together at Iguana. Um, yeah. And Ian was instrumental in creating, again, some groundbreaking, you know, um, paradigms. You know, for example, um, if you think about Turok, you know, the way that Turok yeah. is controlled yeah. on the Nintendo 64 controller, uh, the notion of moving your body with the yellow buttons and adjusting your gaze with the analog stick, that had never been done before. You know, and that is that as soon as Ian invented that paradigm as an experiment in Iguana, mm-hmm. everyone knew as soon because he showed it to me. He's like, first, he's like, hey, I've been messing around with this thing over here. What do you think? Do you think this might work? And I was like, I was moving my body with the yellow buttons. and I was trying to move my head with the analog oh. stick and my head's going all over the place <laughs> like crazy. And I'm like, oh, man, this is kind of hard to get used to. And he's like, no, no, but you can you can actually move to the side and turn your head so you can circle strafe around things. And I was like, "Holy shit! You're right. Fuck, that's 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 mm-hmm. awesome, you know." Um, and you know, as soon as uh, Turok shipped with that control scheme, that was the de facto mm-hmm. way that FPS games on controllers worked moving forward, and that was entire, entirely Ian's invention. I I didn't know that, Ian. That's amazing. Um, the end. We'll talk. Actually, we'll talk about Iguana soon, if you don't. Mind, but could, just to finish up, DMA design. Mm-hmm, yeah. It obviously it obviously later became Rockstar, which is. <laughs> maybe the most power one of the most powerful companies today i mean it's crazy how powerful they are with the gta series yeah i mean 
you weren't involved in were you you weren't there when they were changing their name and so forth were you i, I assume you left before then is that true or? well there is i do have an interesting uh, rock star a couple of interesting oh. rock star stories so david jones um came to me at one point when i was still there when we were working on walker 2 and he said hey um there's this new company uh, in america called rockstar um and they've approached us because we've had success with lemmings and you know they want to talk to us and they're interested in uh, working with us on a game and i was like okay fair enough and i'm like so what's the deal then and he's like well they don't have any ideas for games, but what they do have is um, they have uh, a large uh, music library that they've licensed. So, you know, they've basically locked down the rights to use lots of popular music in games. Can, you know, what can we do with that? And, and I was like, well, that's interesting. And I was like, well, maybe we could make a game that's a music game. So uh, I basically spent uh, several months designing probably one of the world's first music games. Um, and it was all about, you know, you st- starting and forming a band, playing in small pubs and clubs and working your way up to Wembley Arena and such. Um, and, you know, where you were performing these songs. And it was, I was, uh, I think it was a Sega Genesis game because I've still got, I've still got diagrams and all of wow. the design documentation for all this stuff. Um, and, you know, you would be pushing buttons and you could move uh, the you could move between different members of the band during the performance, but you could also kind of move uh, their what they were playing on their instruments in time to the music. So it was all about performing in time nice. to the music. And you could kind of play like conventionally with a guitar, but you could put it behind your head and go, blah, 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 you know, do these kind of crazy things. Um, and so that's kind of, uh, you know, one of the things that I did for uh, Rockstar and DMA. And there's a fairly significant amount of documentation for that. Um, but that, you know, Again, that sort of died on the vine uh, when I left. But I do also remember just before I left DMA Design in um, Dundee, David Jones uh, talking to me about Grand Theft Auto. And uh, he he was like, hey, uh, you know, one of the artists came to me the other day uh, with this idea for a game. I wanted to ask you what you thought about it. And I was like, "Okay, yeah, what's that? And he's like, basically, uh, they want to do a game where you're kind of running around a city and you know you're shooting people and stealing cars and carjacking and stuff like that and i was like wow that sounds like it could be a fun game but do you think uh do you think morally that's something that's a good idea or do you think that's something that we want to have the studio be associated with and dave was like hmm and then and then i was away right so you know my claim to fame was you know being the person who was like you know should be almost. more they make GTA, you know, of course. You almost stopped the series, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, not so much that, but, you know, it's just kind of one of those dumb moments in history where you're like, if you'd been on the right side of it, you could have been rich, eh? But, you know, Mad. such is the way things go. Yeah. And, Ian, you, were you involved into any of these uh, little stories? or No. no a long no. time, yeah. Um, actually, before we move on to Iguana, I want to talk... Did you... I think I sent you guys a video a few months ago, but there was another Walker game, I don't know if you're aware of this, made by a gentleman called Mike Clark, who I've interviewed before. He used to work for Psygnosis. He he actually was making a PS3 game uh, called mm. the, the Walker game. That was never released either, but I don't know if you've seen the clips of that. It's kind of I a haven't. 3D. It, after the interview, I'll send it to you if I can find it again, because he very kindly shared a video with me. I hope mm. it's still working. And um, again, just it just shows you there's still... I don't know who owns the rights for Walker anymore. Any, have you got any ideas or... 
I don't no idea. know. Yeah, I would imagine probably the, the last person who tried to make a Walker game would be a good person to ask because yeah, they probably yeah. had to, you know, to, to find out who owns that, you know. It's mad, isn't it? I have to, I have to talk to Mike again, try and remind myself. Um, well, let's, let's move on. So you both went on to the, to the US, Iguana, Iguana Entertainment, obviously. And what were the first games you worked on there? Was it the Torrent games or remember uh for me the first game i worked on um there was a sega genesis title for sunsoft called zero the kamikaze squirrel yeah yeah yeah. which yeah. was a kind of uh, mario-esque uh, platforming game but it also had vehicles jetpacks speedboats things like that in it and what was it you were working on at the start over there Liam? that is a good question so i know when i started they had just I guess they'd gotten the rights to doing the comics, Valiant comics or something, the Turok oh. series. Was that the name of the comic? And um, they had, like, I was hired as a, what they called, a, and I think you were as well, like a designer planner. That's what they called them. Um, and so I was kind of leaving my programming role behind and stepping into the design shoes. But the problem was, is like, they didn't have room for another project. And so I think I ended up helping out on uh, a kind of mixture of projects. I might yeah. have helped a little bit on your title, Neil. I know I helped out on Batman Forever, mm-hmm. Coin Up. Um, and there was Iggy's Wrecking Balls. I know you worked on that. Iggy's, yeah. And, on. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, and so it, it got to a point where um, the, uh, they were like, we have all these people working on Two Rock, and none of them have done a video game before. Oh. So... And we don't have a project for you to manage your design, so we need you to basically program on Turok. So that's how I ended up on Turok. I mean, it's a great game. Um, uh, you know, FPS dinosaur game. Who would have, you know, absolutely incredible idea. Uh, what was it like working on that? You said you designed the control system here. Did you? Yeah. Do you I mean, look back with a lot of pride? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, it it was a difficult project to be on because there was a lot of. Um, uh, kind of inexperienced people and you know just to give you that example like you know the doing the ui for the screen this artist had done this really immaculate digits for the the score or the the numbers to be represented but they were all like you know like 64 by 64 or 128 by 128 pixels which is huge for you know something that's to be displayed on the screen i was like well wait a second you're going to have to shrink that way down. It was just little frustration. So, I mean, I was young, kind of mm-hmm. egocentric, cocky. And so it, it wasn't a, a good fit for me initially. But I ended up just basically doing the kind of game logic and programming. Mm-hmm. And um, that was actually quite rewarding. I mean, they pretty much just threw most of that on my shoulders. There was one other guy, really talented guy, uh, Rob Cohen, who did mm-hmm. all the technology and tools and uh he was definitely ahead of his time he went off and did his own company i think was it called mm-hmm. edge of reality I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and um he did all the tools technology and i was basically the main programmer guy and i i managed to essentially kind of semi-designed a lot of how the character felt you know when you ran across the ground when you jumped in the water mm-hmm. when you climbed up things all the camera motions and behaviors and um, even did a lot of, because Jurassic Park was in the theaters. I don't know exactly know when, but we'd all seen it. Mm-hmm. And I was just fascinated by the velociraptors, how they would make these noises and communicate with each other. Mm. And so I came up with this elaborate simulation of um, dinosaurs that made sounds. 
and and it would be kind of like this almost like this radar ping they would go out and then other dinosaurs would pick it up and home towards that area because i really wanted to capture that feel of these dinosaurs were smart right Mm -hmm. um Unfortunately, that all got axed and in favor of the simpler, <laughs> there's the player, run straight at it, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And then later on in the project, they brought in some other talented people and they kind of yeah. did bosses and, and other things that I couldn't handle on the schedule because that, that went over budget, over time, um, you know, and we all worked a lot of overtime. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not surprising um, that the project ran long and big because this was something that was being done that had never been done before. You know, I, I mean, at the time in the industry, all video games were 2D, you know, sprite-based mm. games. And Turok was one of the first ever games, you know, which had like real 3D characters and real 3D worlds mm. and soft-skinned weighted meshes, you know, uh, with, you know, vertex animations and um, you know, even getting, a, you know, a dinosaur. I mean, I remember, you know, sort of peeking in people's offices and you'd see, oh, I've got the dinosaur walking. You know, it's like it's just in a looped animation, you know, yeah. and people are crowding around the door. We're like, oh, fuck, look at that. Fucking hell, look at that dinosaur. Holy shit. It was a really big deal. You know, people were very excited about it. And then when we got that walk cycle dinosaur actually in the game, you know, where it could walk around and chase mm-hmm. you and stuff. You know, people were just like losing their minds. You know, like kind of like Ian was saying with the Jurassic Park thing. It was, it was a very similar kind of moment for for people who were seeing that. Are like, wow, this is amazing. The dinosaurs are walking around in 3D. But of course, everything was much more difficult. You know, level design was more yeah. difficult. You know, like we just we it was just a, so much to learn. You know, um, we were making all these different puzzles and it's like, oh, um, making jumping puzzles in first person is really difficult because, <laughs> you know, people constantly fall. And, you know, uh, so there was just a ton of stuff to learn there, but um, also a lot of real innovation. You know, we, we hired people. Um, we hired an animator who was a professional cell animation, you know, literally the old school cartoon animators never worked with a computer in their life. Um, we hired that person to do the animations for the dinosaurs. And so they had to learn like how to animate these skeletons and, you know, like a stop motion animator, you know, pivot them all around between these keyframes. And, um, you know, it was a major learning curve. But once um, um, that person, I believe it was uh, Shane was their name, got their head around it, the work they delivered was just phenomenal. You know, like, oh, here's a raptor eating a human. You know, so you'd see this hapless human walking along and this velociraptor would jump on them and like, you know, chew them and throw them around the place. And we were all just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You know, Um, you know, so there was a lot of um, new technology, a lot of difficulty. uh, But the results that were delivered were, you know, I mean, there was just no one else doing work like that at the time. Was it released before GoldenEye? I'm just trying to get the timescale right. I There's... think so. I'd need to Google that to look at the timeline, but I think so, yeah. I think it was because they, uh, I seem to remember they added a control scheme that was Turrex. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it is yeah. an option. Interesting. So. Yeah, that makes sense then, yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't really released on any other platform, was it? I think it was on PC, but it wasn't mm-hmm. on PlayStation. I mean, it's a great series and it's very popular, but I guess... Just thinking about it, you, you would think maybe it's more settled for a PlayStation sort of game. But was it all? Why was it? Why was it N sixty four? May I ask? Was it just the contract? Or? I think it was the most competent device at the time, and um, Iguana 
had entered into a strategic partnership with Nintendo. Um, oh, right, right, right. And uh, Nintendo had entered into a strategic partnership with Silicon Graphics because you needed these SGI workstations to actually create the, the, some of the content um, or to mm. run portions of your code simulating the N64 on the Silicon Graphics workstation. Um, and those workstations were really hard to come by, and they were also incredibly expensive. I mean, can you remember, Ian, how much they were? I think they were maybe 30 grand a piece or something. Yeah, I was, I was going to say 25k a pop. Yeah, yeah, and we had like That's maybe nice. six or eight of them or something. The artists were fighting over them, you know, to try and get one later on. But, um, you know, it was, uh, it was crazy times. And you both worked on the sequel, is that right, Torrent 2? Um uh, I, th- I think I, had I did. did a little bit of minor. I, I didn't really do too much work on Turok One or Turok Two. Um, I, I kind of I designed some of the different puzzle rooms. I worked with uh, Dave Dinspear, who was the lead designer on the project, and right. um, you know, gave me- mentored him in some areas, you know, of the game's design. But I was busy uh, doing, I believe, Batman Forever when Turok was going on. I think anyway. Right, 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 right. But yeah, Ian, what was your? You worked on Turok Two a lot. What was your big sort of? things you wanted to add into the original game then? Was there any big elements? Uh... It was just, it, Turret 2 just seemed like more of everything. Yeah. Um, it, it really was. And I, I, was that the first version that used the expansion thing? Yeah, the memory. So we could up the resolution. Yeah. And then there was like this whole thing where they wanted dynamic lighting. Yeah. So I ended up like, so the, the N64 had this like micro code, which was the, essentially the graphics library mm-hmm. running on a chip. And I had to basically hack that. Like I got the source, like I think we were one of the few studios that got the source code to that. And so I had to figure out how to write code for SIMD instruction set, which I'd never done before. And then I had to like, you know, there was no, there was no room. So like I had to like take out features of that and replace it with dynamic lighting uh-huh. which i which i finally figured out um but boy that was that was a tough, <laughs> a tough mm-hmm. project there's a lot of, i guess like the money influx from turok you know i think it, i mean remember at the time they were quoting like they'd sold 1.7 million units yeah, um you know <laughs> but um we also i mean we had going back to tour at one just briefly, like we had done a ton of overtime. I mean, at one point we were doing like, you know, seven days a week. Um, there was basically no time off. And I later learned um, from one of the, the owners that basically they were like this close to closing a claim. Really? If, they, if they'd gone like another week, they would have shut the doors. Mm. And that wow. was before Turret one launched. So that, that saved that, the company. Yeah, What do you think so of I the think series? It's... Yeah, I was going to ask you. Do you think it should come back? Um, it's still a big IP, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's a very challenging IP. Um, you know, there's been several attempts to resuscitate Turok. Uh, mm. You know, over the last couple of decades, and they've all had very mixed results. You know. Um, there was one, I believe, maybe in the Xbox 360 era that was quite nicely executed, you know, had nice high fidelity environments, some nice dinosaurs and characters. Um, and I thought that was a really solid and competent uh, effort. But even then, it didn't seem to uh, stick with the public. You know, the public are a fickle bunch. You know, it's difficult to kind of, you know, put things together and be like, okay, people are going to love that, you know. Yeah. and. Yeah. 
Um, there's just something about the Turok brand. There's parts of it, I think, that are very appealing. Um, but then there's other parts of it that, you know, for whatever reason, they just don't seem to stick with the public as well. So I'm not I'm not confident that, you know, the world needs another Turok game. But, you know, do we need more good games with dinosaurs in them? Well, yeah, I mean, everybody loves dinosaurs. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I've got to ask it because you later went on to make South Park, another FPS game, a game you wouldn't really see as a traditional FPS kind of genre title, but it was well received. It was people loved it. I mean, Neil, you, you didn't work on that, did you? That, or did you both work on that? Or no, was I was I was uh, the principal person responsible for South Park, oh, and it was uh, it was a very uh, incredibly challenging. It's one of the most difficult projects I've ever worked on because of the time. Um, we only had, I believe, maybe eight months to make the whole game, which is like ridiculous. It's like no time at all, practically. And um, so because we didn't have much time to make the game, uh, the first thing we had to figure out was, OK, well, what technology do we have on hand? Well, we've got the Turok engine. OK, mm. well, therefore, the South Park game is going to be first person because that's what we have on hand. Um, and I would basically fly out to LA and New York uh, each month. So I would go over to Comedy Central in New York, and then I would fly to LA to Casa Bonita where Matt and Trey were. And I would have to basically sell them on, you know, this idea that okay, we have to use a first-person game, it has to be first-person camera. Um, and I worked very closely with Matt and Trey on the design of the game. And then the Columbine shooting happened. Right. And yeah. when the Columbine shooting happened, then Comedy Central were like, okay. This idea of a first-person shooting game with children, uh, no way, mm, stop. Mm. There's this, you know, the whole game is like frozen. And, uh, you know, we had this fully staffed, large team working on this. It's like a train that cannot be stopped, right? So there was this mad scramble of like, oh, my God, what the hell are we going to do? We've got this whole team working on this game. We have to have this game finished in six months now. You know, the shooting has happened. How the fuck are we going to get around this problem? And um, I can't remember where the idea came from, uh, whether it was Peyton Duncan, one of the lead artists, or myself or someone else. But someone mentioned, they're like, well, what about if instead of, you know, them having guns, you know, like shotguns and things like that, um, we had kind of alternate things that were toy-like uh, instead of guns, but they still served the role of a gun. Mm. So, for example, rather than your, your basic pistol, bang, 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 you had just a snowball. So that yeah. was like your, your pistol. And then your kind of modified shot was the yellow snowball. Um, and, you know, so then we came up with all these different, you know, gadgets like, uh, you know, Nerf guns, or the sniper chicken, uh, the cow launcher. Um, and, you know, it was an absolute Hail Mary. It's like, oh, fuck, if, you know, if we pitch this, these toy weird weapon things and this doesn't stick, we're fucked. The game, yeah. is, the game is canceled, you know. And um, so I went out to New York to meet with Comedy Central with Larry Lieberman and all the rest of them. And uh, we pitched this and they were like, we love it. We love it. This is wow. great. This gets around the problem. Nice work, guys. Go get it done. <laughs> so then I took over to L.A. and, you know, get Matt and Trey to sign off on it. And they were like, oh, this is awesome. We love it. We love it. So um, we immediately rushed back and started kind of you know working on it. But it was it was very, very difficult. It was a very tight compressed time frame mm -hmm. um, we were also competing with the movie because the south park guys were making the south park movie at the time so i was trying to get matt and trey into the studio to do all the, the video all the dialogue for the game because i wrote this big script of all the lines the kids say in the game yeah, yeah. and we needed to get them into the studio to record all that stuff so 
between them recording for the show, for the movie, and then for the game, we were constantly trying to compete for their attention. And um, we didn't have time within the production of the game to uh, to make any changes to anything. So the only way that we could really m- make that manageable was to keep them really in the loop. So again, I would just I would basically take a new version of the game. Every month I would fly to LA with a new cartridge and put it in the oh, machine yeah. at Casa Bonita and they would play it and we'd talk about stuff because we just didn't have time for there to be a miscommunication about how something was going to work where we would then reinvent it, right? There was just no time for that at all. So, you know, the game, um, is it the best FPS game in the world with the best level design in the world? No, absolutely not. You know, is it is it a fun uh, South Park, you know, uh, themed game? Absolutely. You know, um, there's lots of people that, um, you know, still say to me, gosh, I remember playing, you know, the, the multiplayer mode of South Park on the N64 with my <laughs> little brother and sister and having such a lot of fun. So, you know, it's one of the games that I'm most proud of, not because of the quality of the game, which is so-so, but for the team. You know, the team mm. uh, did an incredible job, uh, worked incredibly hard under very difficult conditions to deliver the best game that they possibly could. Um, and so, you know, I'm just incredibly proud of everybody who worked on that game. Um, you know, it's a miracle that it actually got done, to be honest. <laughs> Mm. I've got to ask are you, you two gentlemen fans of South Park. Do you watch oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love, <laughs> love it. I'd love to make a new South Park if Matt and oh, watching. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, you worked. What was your role in the game? May I ask you? I'm not sure. I worked on the the, the, the first person shooter South Park. I worked. There was another South Park game which I oh. was uh, the lead programmer on. Is that Love that Shack? Was, yeah, <laughs> South Park uh, Chef's Love Shack. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's. Not, oh yeah, I've got it. Yeah, I think, like Neil was saying, I'm very proud just of the team effort. Like, because we really did our best in such a tight timeline. But <laughs> there it goes. Um, yeah, they the books. You know, it was it was weird. It was like you know, we had six. I think they told us initially six months to do this game, and and I was like, okay, well, we're let me think about the plan I, I worked with the designer planner project manager and we came up with a plan where it was like you know we needed like 10 programmers to, to pull this off mm. and so we're in this big power meeting with uh, the, the, the studio leads and they're like oh we can get you three or four programmers <laughs> i was like uh-uh, i'm gonna need 10 programmers and they were pissed at us, but um, they actually got it. It was it was like you know a, a retelling of the Dirty Dozen that movie, where you get the any programmer you can nice. <laughs> and train them up. You know, mm-hmm. I had you know people who hadn't written more than two lines of code. They didn't even know what for loops were. You know, <laughs> I don't know what they are. <laughs> and so we we managed to do it. I mean, we got pretty close to getting everything done within the six months. There was like some overage with the PC version because like that has many different incarnations and the testing's a lot harder. Um, but it was a fun project to work on. Mm. I'm proud of that effort to get it done in that amount of time. But I, I I think you know when I look at the final product, it's just too small. Like it was like mm. a trivia thing. It didn't have a lot of questions. I don't think we really capitalized. I mean, there should have been way more uh, kind of mini games in it. I mean, to those who don't, who are listening, who don't really know what it was, it was basically like a Mario Party ripoff. And the idea was you had, you know, the chef giving these questions and then you had to answer them kind of trivia style. 
and then you would jump into mini games. Right, yeah. You can see yeah. on the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, did you work with Matt and Trey as well, Ian? Or was it, no, I never actually had the pleasure of meeting those guys. Ah. Uh, it was a fun project. May, so, guys, may I ask, how long were you at Iguana after the, you know, after South Park games? Or um, did you go separate ways, separate paths after that? Or were there any other games you worked together on? Gosh, that's a good question. I, I'm struggling to even remember when I left uh, Acclaim. Um, sometime in the late 90s, I guess. Um, but it's weird because, you know, although Ian and I worked really closely uh, together in Scotland at DMA and such, um, when it came to working in America, it was almost always like this kind of double helix uh, sort of DNA strand where it's like, can we not work on the same thing together? It's like, no, no, you're going to work on different things and then you'll kind of occasionally, you know, occasionally you'll meet and work on this little thing together. Yes. Um, yeah. So we didn't get to work uh, together in the same way, which is a shame, really. Um, but, uh, you know, such are the organizational forces that be, you know. Yeah. Um, you guys have gone on to create some other huge titles. Um, again, I've, I've got it's, it's unbelievable, really. So, Ian, I've got here, you know, Juice X, uh, Thief, uh, Contra Four, um, and and Neil. I mean, it's, it's it's mad. Doom. I've got here Torn as well. Some huge titles. I mean, I know you, you know we can talk about how you know working in separate quarters again. But what what game? that we haven't really mentioned that you're most proud of out, out, you know, out of those lists I've just mentioned. Is there, is there a game you, you think, oh, yeah, that's where I've really shown what I can do? Well, for me personally, I think, you know, Torin is closest to my heart because it's um, it's one of the few games that I've had complete creative control over, right. you know, in terms of the total vision of the product. And, um, you know, I got a chance to uh, work with some incredibly talented people. You know, it was a very small team, Um but, uh, you know, that was a really fascinating project to work on because it was a virtual reality game and obviously VR. You know, whenever I do different games or, or different things, I always try to learn new things or bring innovations to the work in some way, shape or form. Um, so, you know, working in virtual reality um, mm. and trying to tell a story, you know, how do you tell a story in VR when you can't control the camera or where the player's looking? You know, these are all very interesting problems to solve. Um, you know, we also used uh, some proprietary uh, fluid simulation. Uh, one of the things that's interesting and unusual about Torn is that the central character that you interact with um, is this kind of disembodied soul that's represented as a, a real-time uh, three-dimensional fluid simulation. Mm -hmm. So as you talk to this person and they talk back, this kind of fluid blob is kind of reacting in real time to the speech that they're saying. Um, but you, because it's VR, you can kind of poke them. <laughs> you, can kind of, you can actually splash them. So you'll kind of take your hand and, and they'll kind of go bloop and they'll, then they'll kind of bloop, they kind of join back together again. Um, but that was really fascinating and um, it was great to kind of work with the art team to get the, the tone, the visual tone of the mansion correct and the feel of the rooms and the technology and work with Gary Scheiman, who is the composer who worked on Bioshock. Um, you know, to get the, okay. the music right and, you know, um, record all of that music with orchestras and, and all that stuff. So that was another very small team um, over a relatively short time. The game, I think it cost just over a million dollars to make, which is not a lot of money. Um, but it was a very, very high quality product. So that's probably 
the more recent of my works that I'm, I'm most proud of because, you know, I had a, a chance to really kind of steer the direction. How about, how about yourself, Ian? Is there a game you're really proud of that you um, think, wow, this is you know, my best work kind of thing? I think, sadly, I may still be waiting for that game, but like with hindsight, I, I look back on my work in Turok, and I really like that. Um, I think, I, I mean, there was a game I did, it was just a personal project, VR, it was like Dawn of the Robot Empire, it was like a shooter. Um, I really enjoyed working on that, um, just because like the VR space is so new and unique the way you interact with it i've always been kind of into coming up with new ways of interactions yeah yeah, yeah. you know being in this industry for such a long time you get kind of bored like oh it's like a analog stick and buttons or two analog sticks it's kind of yeah you're looking for something different and so I, i really like my work i've done in vr and even outside of that you know i've had the opportunity to work on um vr training simulations Oh. which are really um, just from that perspective alone, the interaction in the VR world is, is a lot of fun to work on stuff like that. Um, you know. Yeah, I think then, the same. Sorry, go ahead, Ian. I was just going to say, and a lot of my other work has been in the app space. Like I, I kind of switched gears um, in 2003 and basically moved into the mobile area. And I've kind of been doing basically mobile stuff until VR recently. And mobile apps um, and probably the proudest one I ever worked on I know it's not a game but um, I worked on NPR radio okay um, for the iPhone that was like oh. uh, my biggest claim to fame in the, <laughs> the iPhone space that's, yeah, that's very impressive yeah and one of the new things that's coming out uh, you know which is very exciting is you know high quality augmented reality you know mm-hmm. using lidar where you can have occlusion um, you know, devices uh, such as the Magic Leap or the HoloLens, for example, um, and we'll soon see with the Apple Glasses. You know, there's there's rumours that they are, you know, have similar functionality. But I think that that for me is another kind of frontier. You know, in terms of you know, hey, wouldn't it be interesting to to make an experience that's an augmented reality entertainment experience um, that leverages you know the lidar for occlusion because that's really the game changer. You know, is the ability for the holograms to be occluded by your your environment. Yeah, no, good. I was actually kind of linked to that. What what projects or games are you currently working on uh, at the moment? Are you happy to share some details, or is it all hush-hush? Um, I, I, well, I can I can share sort of some vague details. Um, right now, one of the things that I'm doing at Panic Button, Panic Button obviously is best known for our uh, world-class porting work, you know, so we bring, you know, Doom from the PC to the Switch and so on. Um, but we're diversifying, and one of the things I'm helping the studio with is to grow our own internal IP team so that we can make our own intellectual properties. Right. So um, over the last uh, several months, we've been running an initiative at the studio to gather ideas from uh, all of the different employees at the studio. Um, and right now, we are in the process of uh, reviewing all of those different ideas to, to pick you know, which ones we will then go forward to the next stage of the process with. Um, which will be diligence uh, before we move to pre-production. Um, and that's really exciting. And we've already, you know, got some amazing ideas. You know, the, the team at Panic Button is full of, mm. you know, incredible engineers, but very talented artists and creatives. Um, so there's going to be some exciting new IP coming uh, from Panic Button maybe about a year from now. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. 
How about yourself, Ian? What are you, what are you up to these days? What games? Uh, unfortunately, I can't really comment at uh, all um, NDAs and such. Um, but I hope to, like Ian, uh, Ian. <laughs> I'm losing my brain here. Uh, like Neil was saying, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, working on augmented reality stuff in the future. I really see that as like the the next frontier. Yeah, I think AR is going to be as big a technological splash as smartphone technology. So if you think about the, the paradigm shift between flip phones, clamshells, you know, with push buttons yeah. and uh, smartphones with a touch screen, you know, that was a huge game changer. Mm. When AR, you know, with LiDAR functionality becomes, you know, the, the norm, it's going to be as big a paradigm shift, I think. Good stuff. No, yeah, I'm excited as well, to be fair. Um, I've got to ask, guys, what is your personal favourite video game of all time? It can be a classic, it can be quite a recent title. What, what game would you rank as your favourite? Boy, that's a really difficult question. I know a couple of the recent ones that I've played that I really enjoyed a lot are Ghost of Tsushima. Um, that's a very solid single-player game, but the Legends mode uh, where you can play with friends online is fantastic. I've also really been enjoying Microsoft Flight Simulator, um, you know, which is a very kind of you know relaxing kind of, oh, I'm just going to fly around, you know, fly around Edinburgh and kind of check out the old haunts and such. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing what they've done with that, with the technology and populating the, you know, the satellite images with little trees and houses and so on. Yeah. Now I've heard it's amazing. You can, you can find, you can find your house, can't you? Everything is pretty much. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, how about yourself, Ian? Have you got a top game of all time? It's a real tough question. Yeah. That's, that's unfair. Um, it's a bit unfair. I don't know. Recently, me- recent memory would be Breath of the Wild. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a master, yeah, masterpiece. Um, you know, if you go back further, it maybe be something like Mario sixty four, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. just blew my mind and the the camera and the control. Um, yeah, I think Mario sixty four is definitely in my top five. You know, for all the reasons that, that Ian mentions, there's just so many groundbreaking innovations. Yeah, and Ocarina of Time as well. I don't know if you guys are uh, that, that, uh, uh, Any of the Zelda's. Yeah, the Zelda's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Just incredible. We can talk about the Zelda. I'm, I'm, yeah, Breath of the Wild. I'm looking forward to the sequel as well, yeah. which is uh, going to come out next year, I hope. Um, yeah. Look, guys, I've got a couple of quick questions to finish up. It's been such a good chat. Um, you've mentioned a few already, but maybe you can choose a different game. What, are there any games that you started to work on in the past that were never released? Mm-hmm. And if so, is there any game you think, well, oof, I wish it was released because I think that would have been really successful. I can't accept Walker 2. <laughs> We've spoken about Walker enough, really. Yeah, yeah. Is there any other games you, you think you'd love to have seen um, released? Probably one of the biggest uh, games that I did some pre-production on that wasn't released uh, was uh, Bioshock 4. Oh. So basically uh, kind of this new this question of, you know, after Bioshock Infinite, you know, which is obviously the city in the clouds, um, you know, Ken uh, left the, you know, the Bioshock brand to form his own studio. So Bioshock as an IP was adrift. Um, and uh, I was asked, uh, well, working at a studio to ideate, uh, you know, what could Bioshock 4 be? Um, what would it be about and what would the setting be and so on. Um, and I worked on that for, I don't know, maybe four or five months or something like that. Um, and did, you know, hundreds of drawings and illustrations and uh, story treatments and so on. And, uh, you know, uh, that didn't come to pass. But, uh, you know, mm. I think there was definitely a, a fair amount of stuff in 
that was developed there um, that would have been really, really cool. Would it have been underwater or would it have been in the air? Can I ask that question? Or? Uh, neither. <laughs> oh, neither, okay. <laughs> I've just played the first Bioshock for the first time, Bioshock Remastered. I've never really played the games before, mm. but I was blown away how good it was. I haven't played yeah. any, of the, any other sequels, but I'm going to. And Bioshock 4, it's, it's a shame, isn't it? Because I know um, Ken, Ken Levine, isn't it, Levine? He, mm. He's moving to other stuff, but well, it's a huge brand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's very challenging. It's you know, as I was saying to my colleagues when we were looking at this, it's like, you know, make no make no mistake, Bioshock is you know the most complex narrative brand in the world, you know, but like you know as a game, like the stories uh, that that Bioshock engages in, as well as the sort of cultural co uh, commentary that those stories promote, um, and the depth, you know, Ken went to great depth to to make the characters interesting and multidimensional. Um, and it's it's a very tall order to follow, you know, to to try to sort of create a, a work that follows that that's of similar high quality. It's very challenging. Can I ask Neil, is Bioshock Four not going to happen? Full stop. Well, the version. Opinion? Well, as far as I understand it, um, Bioshock Four is in production right now. Um, um, but uh, it does it has no bearing, as far as I understand, on on the work that I did. Okay. And that's not really interesting, and uh, I don't know, Ian, can you top that? Because Bioshock 4 is pretty, pretty big one. Oh, I absolutely cannot top that. Um, <laughs> but in terms of uh, just a personal project I was working on, um, it was a game called The Day I Tried. Oh. It was a zombie simulator, and um, I had to abandon it due to kind of family personal reasons. Right. But um, I, I. I think I, I, that's probably the most proud kind of individual project I've worked on. Um, I developed it all myself. I really loved the control method. It was like an iPad thing. It could run on the iPhone, but it was really designed to take advantage of the larger screen format. Yep. And it was like top-down isometric zombie simulation. And the idea was kind of like, you know, to simulate like um, smell, sight, you know, noise, and have the classical dumb zombies, but they're, you know, they can overwhelm you because there's so many of them. Kind of capture that yeah, kind yeah, of true yeah. spirit of the zombie, mm. zombie universe. You don't I, don't, well, I don't like all these manic yeah. kung fu sprinting zombies. <laughs> old a school. bit much for me. Yeah. <laughs> Could you not go get that project off the ground again if it's a, a bit of a pet project to yours or is that? I could. There was actually a surprising amount of interest in it. Um, I could, IGN actually covered it uh, oh. in in development, um, and that generated a lot of people interested in it who were also very disappointed that I stopped <laughs> working on it. Um, it. It could definitely be resurrected, but I think you know, um, it's it's. I'm I'm far removed from the twenty something energetic work mm. all night. Mm. Uh, person that I used to be. I, sadly, I have to accept that, you know, you know, I'm fifty something at this point, and so you know, maybe there's other things that life has, you know, instead of working all hours on a video mm -hmm. game. But um, I get it. I'd love to. I'd love to resurrect it, but it's really just a question of money and time at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, are you guys currently living in? So are you still in the US then, both you gentlemen? Is that right? Yeah. 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 Do you, do you get a chance to go back to Scotland often, or is that? I mean, it must. I usually go back every year. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. To see family. Um, COVID aside, of course. 
um, you know, which obviously messed up everyone's travel course, plans. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but usually I go back every year. Yeah, yeah. And have yourself in, do you get a chance to get back to you? Yeah, every few years. I, not as, as frequent as every year, but um, every few years for sure. And uh, yeah, the pandemic's kind of messed things up. Yeah, of course. My, my son's actually over there visiting his uh, grandmother right now. He's on a big long vacation. Oh, good stuff. Look, I've really enjoyed today's chat. What, and I want to say thank you as well for making uh, like Walker. <laughs> it's one of my favourite games in the Amiga, I have to say. Um, so I appreciate it. And some of the titles you guys have worked on are absolutely incredible. We could we could keep talking all day, to be honest, <laughs> but I know we, we can't. You guys are busy people. Um, my, my final question, and you, I know you answered this already in the texting to you, so you're welcome to change it, mm. is if you could share a few drinks with any video game character, who would you choose and why? Um, Neil, do you want to go first? Huh. Gosh, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to give that one some thought. That's a difficult question. It's uh, a tough one. Unless you've got yeah. it, have you got got one to go? Or I know you've asked me this before in the past, and but I guess I'm allowed to change my answer. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. Video game character, boy. Two <laughs> shots with Sonic. <laughs> you could go with Sonic, yeah. He'd be, he'd be a quick drinker. <laughs> you'd be, yeah. be pissed all the time. Yeah, maybe it'd be a lemming, and it'd be like, "What the hell, dude?" Yeah, it's difficult because so many video game characters are shallow. You know, yeah. it's like you know, there's not really you can't imagine having an interesting conversation with Pac-Man. You know what I mean? He's not exactly known for his political position on things. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's hard to say. No, that's true. That's true. Maybe um, but video game creators like would you know? I'd love to sit down and have dinner with uh, Shigeru Miyamoto and yes. you know and you know talk to him about you know design philosophy or what his observations are of gaming trends and what he thinks are the future of gaming trends. Um, you know that that's a little bit easier question for me. Yeah, yeah, I second that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, guys. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real, real fun, real pleasure. And, um, you know, I love hearing these stories. So really good luck for the rest of your, your, your careers and so forth. And, yeah, hopefully we can stay in contact. So thank you. I love it. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah. It's been great to talk to you and meet you and just kind of reminisce about this stuff again. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Ian, as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. You can tweet us at Arcade Attack UK. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcade Attack UK. Check out our website at arcadeattack.co.uk for lots more retro gaming goodness and to delve into our archives. Our podcasts are also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review and a rating. We'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support Arcade Attack, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash arcadeattack, which will give you access to exclusive podcasts, interviews, and other bonus content. So, until next time, take care, and we'll speak to you soon.